this is Steve with Life Worth Living. God is in control, even in the darkest time of your life. He's in control when evil people are having their way or during times of rampant violence. He's in control when your closest friend is struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts or even in the midst of a nasty divorce. God is in control when you're when you find yourself suffering. Maybe you have physical pain uh, that comes from sickness or an injury or, or because of a handicap. You might have suffered abuse and, and you're dealing with untold emotional pain. God is in control. He's in control for the, the service member who's come back from deployment and suffering from the trauma of losing someone they fought beside. God is in control. God has the uncanny way of making really bad things work out for our benefit and for our good. So no matter what dark place you find yourself in, remember God is in control. But Isaiah chapter 7, and um, here's, uh, here's kind of the, the theme of this, of this chapter for me at least as I was studying it this week and last week is this, even in dark times, God is in control. Even in dark times, God is in control. Think of your darkest time, the darkest time of your life. Look back on it and ask yourself, was God in control during that time? (laughs) It may not have felt like it at the time, but looking back on it, you can realize, you know what, God had his hand in my life during that time. So even in the darkest times, God is in control. And just remember how we talked about whenever you read some of these books of the Bible, the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets. By the way, Isaiah is called a major prophet, major prophet of the Old Testament. Sometimes you get lost in the in the chapters, and they don't make a whole lot of sense. So you need to go and read the, the, the historical accounts of what was going on at that time so that you'll know why Isaiah wrote some of the things that Isaiah wrote. So we're going to do that today. We're going to look in 2 Chronicles 28. In fact, we're going to spend most of our time in 2 Chronicles 28 so that we can understand Isaiah 7, if that makes sense. So we're going to read about what was going on at that time, the king that was reigning in Judah at that time. And I'll remind you, if you'd like to pull down your masks, you're welcome to, but encourage you and certainly ask you as you get up to put them back on um, so we stay safe. And here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be revisiting what we do with with our masks. Second Chronicles 28. Um, so you can just read along with me. And I think we've got it yep, thrown up here on the screen as well. Second Chronicles 28, verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old. Now, we had been talking two weeks ago. We spoke of his father, Jotham. His father, Jotham, if you remember that in Isaiah 3 and 4, it was uh, all about Jotham. Now his son, Ahaz, is, is ruling. He's 20 years old. And remember, Jotham was a guy who was a good, good king, but he left a weak legacy. And we're about to see the weak legacy that he left in his son, Ahaz. 20 years old, he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Not a terribly long time. But comparatively speaking, not a terribly short time either. There's some some kings that only reigned a matter of years or even months. And so he reigned 16 years, unlike David, his father, not his David, his exact father, but 
the he was in the lineage in the kingly lineage of David. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know about you as a parent. I really want my kids to serve Jesus. I really, 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 and not just my physical kids. I want my spiritual kids. I want people who I tell about Jesus and who give their hearts to the Lord. I want them to serve Jesus all their lives. And I'll remind you, I also want spiritual grandchildren. I don't want to just get see someone saved. I want to see them turn around and disciple someone else and have grandchildren, so to speak. And so he did not do, unfortunately, what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel. Remember, there was, the kingdom was split in two. There was the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel was out of control. They were serving idols. They were doing crazy stuff, as we'll see even today. Um, and they worshipped Baals. Now, let me tell you what. When you have an idol in your life, you're, you're worshipping a demon, you know, the things that try to get you away from God are spiritual in nature. So you might think you're worshiping your career or worshiping your car or worshiping uh, whatever you're pursuing. In reality, if you're not serving Jesus, you're serving the enemy. And so they were they were uh, worshiping Baals, which were idols. They he burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben Hinnon, Ben Hinnon. Now I look this up. Jerusalem had a wall around it, and south of Jerusalem there was this valley. It was called the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, and there he sacrificed his children in the Valley of Ben-Hinnon. And there was a there's kind of a kind of a, a a place where the kind of almost like a canyon, but two two walls of the valley came together, and there was a perfect rock that was perfectly flat and plain. And there the evil kings of Judah would sacrifice their children on that rock. Unimaginable. Unimaginable. Really, is it unimaginable? With abortion, it's actually not unimaginable. We've, we've uh, committed over 61 million abortions in this country. So we think on one side it's unimaginable, but yet on the flip side, we in this country continue to do the same exact precise thing. Even going as far as saying partial birth abortions, what kind of brutality? How hideous is that? How hideous is that? Well, this king did that in the Valley of Ben-Hinnon. Now, if you look at Jerusalem on a map, I, should, I wish I had it up here, but I don't. At the south was this valley where this ugliness would take place with many kings. If you come up on the, what is that? The east, east side of Jerusalem, there's another valley called the Kidron Valley. And the Kidron Valley is where kings who repented, they would take out all the idols and they would destroy the valley. It, it, those those uh, idols, they would destroy them in the Kidron Valley. They would pulverize them, literally, and throw the ashes and the dust out in the Kidron Valley. So on one side of the outside of the city is where terrible things took place. Just, just a little northeast of that is where good kings would take all their idols and just destroy them. And then if you went north, is believed to be right outside the city is where Jesus was crucified for our sins. Isn't that amazing? Everything seems to happen outside of Jerusalem, but... The pinnacle of what happened outside the city was Jesus dying for our sins. 
Isn't that amazing? He was taken outside of the city there and sacrificed on our behalf. So little, little babies were sacrificed outside of the city, but the Son of God was sacrificed outside of the city as well for our behalf, on our, on our behalf. But let's read on here in Second Chronicles 28. He engaged in every detestable practice of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spread tree. Every spread tree. Now here's Isaiah, probably a full-grown man living in Jerusalem. He saw all of this. He experienced all of this. He had been there when King Jotham was doing the right things, and now his son took over, and everything was going to pot, literally. And Isaiah saw this, and it was during that time, most likely, that he wrote Isaiah 7. But let's read on in verse 5. It says, Therefore the Lord, his God, whose God? Ahaz's God? The Lord, the God of the man who wasn't even serving him? Are we saying that it's possible that God is the God of everyone, no matter if you serve him or if you don't? Wow. It says here, the Lord, therefore the Lord, his God, delivered him into the hands of the king of Aram. Now, Aram was modern-day Syria. Right above, right above Israel is Lebanon and Syria. And, and so that whole area up there, there was a kingdom up there that was in constant conflict with the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And so it says here that the God of Ahaz, even though Ahaz wasn't serving God, began to attack Judah. And that's what happens to you and me. When we turn our back on God, our enemies start getting the, better, the upper hand in our lives. We start battling in our minds, and we can't win those battles anymore. We start fighting addictions, but we can't beat those addictions. We start having troubles at work, or we start having troubles in our marriage. We start having troubles as parents. And God is saying, turn to me, and I'll start making those things work out for you. I'll start fixing your problems. But when we turn our back, back on the Lord, things don't work out for us. But here's the first point that I'd like to make. God is in control. He is Lord even over those who don't serve him. I want you to think of that person that you know that isn't serving the Lord. Their life is out of control. And I want you to make a mental note and say, you know what? God is in control over their life. They might be out of control. They may not be serving God, but my God is in control over them. That doesn't just go for people. He, he is God over organizations, ungodly organizations, such as Planned Parenthood, that we got a letter from this week, interestingly enough, from Planned Parenthood, stating that there's more women who die bearing children today than there were 30, day, 30 years ago. That, that uh, uh, childbearing for women is a very dangerous proposition in this day and age, and therefore abortion is a very uh, appropriate alternative for women these days. Falsehoods. Falsehoods. Mail to my house. Do you think I'm going to believe that? God is the God over planned parenthood. Praise God. He's the God over organizations. He's the God over governments. He's the God over political groups and organizations. He's the God over sickness, so much so that it sure sounds like Nadia is cancer-free. God is the God over your sickness, over your injuries, over anything that's affecting you physically. God is in control over your situation. 
He's the God. He's, in, he's the God over attitudes. He's the God over addictions. Let me tell you what. Even in dark times, God is in control. Praise the Lord. So these Armenians, we're back in verse 5 now. These Syrians, if you will, these Armenians defeated Ahaz and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them back to Damascus. Modern-day Damascus, whose, whose capital is it's, it's over the, the country of Syria, took Jew, people from Judah, not from Jerusalem, by the way, but from the, all the villages and the little towns of Judah. Here the Armenians swept down and took people captive, took over the towns, took those people back up to Damascus, up in the north. He was also given to the hands of the king of Israel, his northern neighbor, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. In one day, the king of Israel, whose name was Pekah, son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah. Why? Because Judah had forsaken the Lord. Had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Again, I'll warn you, if you turn your back on the Lord, if you turn the back, your back on his godly principles, I've mentioned abortion more than once today, if you turn your back on these things, bad things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. You're going you're gonna to actually suffer. But let me tell you what, God is in control even when you're suffering. How many of you are going through some kind of suffering right now? You're not going to tell me what it is, but you're suffering right now. You might be suffering on behalf of someone else, a child, a loved one, a friend. It's something at work. You're suffering. God is in control even when you're suffering. Isn't that good news? Let me tell you something about suffering. Not all suffering is equal. (laughs) Not all suffering is equal. All right? And let me tell you why. There's some bad suffering that you can avoid. You don't ever have to suffer bad suffering. But there's also good suffering, suffering that does you good. Suffering, bad suffering, is brought on by yourself. You do it to yourself. So if you go out and decide to be promiscuous and sleep around, guess what? You're going to suffer sickness. You're going to suffer emotional harm. And you're going to suffer spiritual harm as well. That's the worst suffering that you're going to have, right? There's a spiritual side of things. If you go out and get into a bar brawl and beat somebody's face in, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get put in jail. You didn't have to suffer that if you hadn't gone out and gotten drunk. You didn't have to suffer that if you would have kept yourself sexually pure. You don't have to go through some of the things that you go through. They're brought on. It's bad suffering. You did it to yourself. And we've all done that. I've done bad things and suffered for them unnecessarily. But then there's good suffering that's brought on by God or allowed by God. Many people scratch their heads and say, why did God allow that to happen to me? Guess what? He's doing it for your good. He's doing it for your good. Sometimes you go through bad things to protect you from worse things. Did you know that? Sometimes God allows things to happen in your life that you don't like, but he's protecting you from something worse. It's good suffering because it it strengthens us, it corrects us, and it matures us. That's why in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, the sufferings that God allows to bring into our lives, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. 
You're never going to have the full amount of hope in your life until you've gone through some difficult times, until you've gone through some challenging times. So when you're going through discipline, when you're going through that tough time, work with God. Don't turn your back on God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't throw your hands up and give up. Say, God, we're going to get through this together. And I'm going to end up on the other side a better person a better person. Look at some of the things that you've gone through in your life, some of the good suffering that you've gone through in your life. Did it not do you good? Did it not strengthen you? Did it not make you a better godly person? I would tell you absolutely. Every bit of good suffering does you good. So here's some important things to understand about suffering. The first thing, and we've got to understand this as human beings, every challenge, every suffering that you go through has a beginning point. But let me tell you what, it has an ending point. You're going to get through this and it's going to be over with. It's going to be done. You're going to be standing on a higher place than you stood before. You're going to be a stronger person. It is coming to an end. What you're going through is not going to last forever. And we've got to get that into our minds. It seems some days like, when is this ever going to end? God's telling you there's an ending point. Here's another thing I'd like you to know about suffering is that the, is the enemy, the devil, comes in and he tries to make your suffering it, it, do something evil to you, you know? It, let me give you an example. Somebody gets depressed, all right? Depression is okay. You can deal with depression, but when you get suicidal thoughts and feelings layered on top of the depression, that's evil, that's evil. And that's why the Lord's prayer is, is like this. It, it, it reads like this or should be spoken this way. Lord, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Because the enemy will take your suffering and try to make it worse. But what God does is he comes in and he uses the suffering for your good. All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. All right, so we know that when you're suffering, the enemy's in there trying to take use it to his advantage, but God is in there trying to use it for your advantage and for, for the kingdom advantage. Here's another thing I'd like to let you know about suffering is it teaches us to trust in God instead of ourselves. That's the lesson of a lifetime. Let's stop trusting ourselves and start trusting in God. A few weeks ago, we read from Isaiah 2.22 that says, Stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in people that you see and start trusting in the living God. And things are going to go a lot better in your life if you will simply do that. So suffering teaches us to do that. Uh, uh, fourth, I guess here is suffering is a tool. It's not a focus. When you're suffering, you tend to just focus on your suffering and think about all the bad things that could happen to you and might happen to you and are happening to you. You know what? Suffering is a tool. It's not the focus. Use suffering to get your attention onto Jesus. Use suffering as a tool to get your focus off yourself and on to Jesus. And the last thing I'll tell you about suffering is suffering is not your identity. Don't go around identifying yourself as a person who's suffering. Your identity is strictly you're a victor in Jesus. You are victorious. That's your identity. You might be having a little bit of hard time now, but right now, right here, you are a victor through Christ Jesus. You are a winner. You're not a loser. You're not going to end up defeated. You're going to end up winning. That's why in 1 John 5, verses 3 through 4, it says, In fact, 
This is love for God to keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. You are victorious. You are an overcomer. You are a conqueror. You can do all things through Jesus who gives you strength and says this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So stop looking at your suffering so much. Don't focus on it. Focus on God and focus who you are in Jesus. Let's continue to read, though, here in 2 Chronicles, where were we, 28, right? The men of Israel, okay, the northern kingdom, we're talking about King Ahaz, who's the king of Judah. The northern kingdom sweep down into Judah, and they start taking captive their fellow Israelites. As if it wasn't enough for Aram, Syria, to come down and take captives back to Damascus, their own neighbors, their own flesh and blood, other Jews, other Israelites, they come into Judah through the villages of Judah, and they take 200,000 wives and sons and daughters. 200 kidnaps. Can you imagine human trafficking? Because this is exactly what this was. They didn't just sneak into one house and steal one person. They, in broad daylight, took 200,000 women and children. They also took great plunder and carried it back to Samaria. Samaria, just like Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, Samaria was the capital of Israel, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom. So they take all these people, they're, they're marching them back. Some of them are naked. You'll see this. Some of them have hardly can make it. Some of them are injured. Some of them are, are sick. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded, how would you like to be named Oded? <laughs> Call him dead for short, but Oded. Oded was there, and he apparently was from Israel, and he went out to meet the army. One man meets an army. How courageous are you? Are you courageous enough to stand up to your family sometimes or to stand up at work or to stand up for something that you believe is, you know is wrong and you stand against it? We need to be more courageous. This one man faces this army coming back with 200 people, 200,000 people returning to Samaria. How big is El Paso? El Paso is what? Seven or 800,000 people. Can you imagine 200,000 people being taken, being kidnapped in one day? So anyways, this, this prophet confronts the army. He says, because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, the southern kingdom, he gave them into your hands, but you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves? Human trafficking, literally. They're going to make them their slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow Israelites that you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. Then some of the leaders of Ephraim, now when you see in the Bible it speaks of Ephraim, it's speaking of Israel, the northern kingdom. I'm not even going to try to pronounce these guys' names, all right? It lists who these people are. There's five or six of them. These leaders confront those who were arriving back from war, 
And they said, you must not bring those prisoners there or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add, um, add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great and his fierce anger rests on Israel. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and the plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners from the plunder. They clothed those who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals and food and drink and healing balm. And all those who were weak, they put on donkeys and they took them back. Let me tell you what, that was a dark time in Judah, but God was still in control. You might be having a time that looks like your life is collapsing right now. God is still in control. He's not out of control. He hasn't forgotten you. You're not alone. God is on your side. Humble yourself before the Lord. Listen to this. God is in control. He will even confront your enemies and talk to them. <laughs> and if, you're, if your back is turned to the Lord, he's not going to give up on you either. He's going to keep talking to you. He's going to keep confronting you, even if you're not serving him. But all the more, the people that are attacking you that aren't serving God, God is in control of them too. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that a relief? Well, let's keep reading in verse 6. Isn't this good? Man, I was reading this this week. I was like, wow, this is blessing me. My God is in control. Verse 16, at that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria. Here's this bozo Ahaz. He's just a dummy, all right? God has just brought him back all his people, and what does he do? He seeks for more help, not God's help. He seeks for the king of Assyria, the brutal king of Assyria. All right? He sends for the kings of Assyria for help. The Edomites, which is where modern-day Jordan is, across the, excuse me, modern, yeah, modern-day Jordan, across the river Jordan, they come up and start attacking Judah and carry away prisoners. He's had people carried away by Aram, that's Syria, from Israel, and now from Edom. And if you read on, even the Philistines are raiding the towns. Let me tell you what, when everything is going bad in your life, ask yourself this question, am I serving God? <laughs> if everything is going bad in your life, ask yourself, am I serving the Lord? Sometimes, even when you're serving the Lord, a lot of bad things happen. But a lot of times, it's because we're not serving the Lord that our lives are falling apart. Look at the people around you that you care for that aren't serving God. How is their life going for them right now? Man, I'll tell you what. Ask yourself that question. So he reaches out for help, but look at this. In verse 19, the Lord had humbled Judah because King Ahaz of Israel, and it's interesting to me. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know why it says King of Israel because he was King of Judah. It's very clear, but maybe it's, it's speaking the king of the Jews at that point. For he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had become most unfaithful to the Lord. Let me tell you what, God puts a high premium on faithfulness. Some of you faithfully went and visited Jim Everett before he passed away. Thank you for your faithfulness. Some of you have come here on Thanksgiving and put together turkey baskets to hand out to people who are in need. Thank you for your faithfulness. Some of you are taking care of loved ones that you have that are elderly and that need help. Thank you for your faithfulness. Some of you, whenever you get a chance, you tell people about Jesus. They walk by where you live or walk in the grocery store or whatever. Thank you for your faithfulness. 
God puts a high degree of faithfulness. Some of you are getting brave enough to pray out loud in church. Thank you for your faithfulness. <laughs> Praise God. Seriously. God loves your faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness. You're full of faith, so you do something about it. God loves faithfulness. Praise God. Well, God is in control. He humbles the proud. Look at Ahaz. He was just a proud guy. He couldn't get it through his thick skull that God was his answer, his solution. And God had to humble him. God is in control. Think of the proud, proud people that you look in society right now and you think they will never be humbled. Let me tell you what, they're going to be humbled. Every, it's, a, it's a spiritual law that will never be defied. God humbles the proud. And I'm so thankful for it. He's humbled me many times. I'm sure he'll humble me many times more. But I look at the elitist people in our society and around the world, and I think, God, humble those people. Humble them. Bring them down to earth again. We're all humans. We're all on the same playing field. There's not one of us that's better than the other. There's not one of us that's better. No matter if you're rich, poor, famous, powerful, it doesn't matter. We're all cut out of the same cloth. We're all humans. And we all have to be human, humbled. Look at this in Proverbs 16, 18 in the New International Version, which is probably what most of you guys are reading. said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But look at this other translation in the message translation. I like this. First pride, then a crash. <laughs> First pride, then a crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And I found that with me. The bigger my ego gets the bigger the pop is going to be when God pops my ego. All right, let's stay humble. Well, let's read on in verse 20. Now, here's this king of Assyria that Ahaz is welcomed into his kingdom. All right, his name was tiglath Pileser, I believe is how you might pronounce it. King of Assyria came to him, came to King Ahaz, and he gave him trouble instead of help. If you reach out to ungodly people, they're not going to help you. And this is what gets me, man. People, have you ever been hurt in church before? I have. I'm raising my hand. I've, the church has hurt me before. When you get hurt in church, don't go running to somebody outside the church to find help. You go to God. <laughs> go to God. People are going to fail you. God will never fail you. And this is what King Ahaz did. He went to an ungodly king. He didn't find help. He only found trouble. So King Ahaz, he took some of the things from the temple of God, from the royal palace, from the officials, and presented them to king, the king of Assyria, but did not get any help from him. At this time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to God. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus, who had defeated him, for he thought, since the gods of the king of Aram have helped them, maybe if I sacrifice to them, they'll help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all of Israel. Ahaz was gathered together. He gathered together the furnishings of the temple of God and cut them into pieces. And he shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set altars up in every street corner in Jerusalem. What if we gave up on this church? What if we took all the church, the, the chairs out of here, went to Goodwill, donated them, took these keyboards, took down the the TV back here, took all the lights out and shut the doors and no longer had church here anymore. What would we do? Where would we be? What would it be like if this church weren't here? 
because we abandoned God. Let me tell you what, I'm like my dad. My dad says this all the time. Everybody can leave, but I'm still coming here. <laughs> you can count on this. I will be here. And I pray that you will be here as well. We're not going to turn our, God, our backs on God. But God is in control. Let me tell you what. If we decide to not trust God, things aren't going to work out for us. Things aren't going to work out for us. We've got to trust the Lord because he is in control. The world, listen to me carefully, the world doesn't revolve around you or me. The world revolves around Jesus. <laughs> Why do we think about ourselves so much? Why do we always about me, 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 me? Let's make it about Jesus, 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 Jesus. The world revolves around him, not around us. Let's read on just a few more thoughts here before we end up today. The other events of Ahaz's reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his ancestors, only rested in death. He didn't have much rest eternally, I'll guarantee you that. He rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of, of Jerusalem, but he was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel, and I can imagine why. He brought so much trouble on his kingdom. But his son Hezekiah succeeded him as king. And we're going we're gonna to study Hezekiah because Isaiah also lived during Hezekiah's time and when you hear what kind of guy Hezekiah was, it's going to blow your mind. Listen, King Ahaz sacrificed his kids on the altar, but Hezekiah somehow didn't get sacrificed as an infant. He was a miracle baby. He was a miracle baby. And I think my kids are miracles. Uh, Tina and I originally couldn't have kids. And God did a miracle in Tina and me, <laughs> and we had four kids. God does miracles today. He protects even when there's death. He protects even when there's tragedy. He extracts from the evil. He extracts good somehow. So here, King Ahaz had a child that was godly. Ahaz, excuse me, Hezekiah turned out to be one of the most godly kings Judah ever had. And his dad was evil. <laughs> his dad was evil. God is in control of the outcomes and the legacy of every evil person. Every evil person, something good can come from bad. Praise God for that. All right. So let me just read to you a couple of other scriptures here. The same story or the same the same historical events of King Ahaz that are in 2 Chronicles 28 are also mentioned in 2 Kings 16. And so it's good to read both, just like we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and get a, a big picture of who Jesus was. We can do the same thing with these kings in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings. But let's look at 2 Kings 16. Here again, it's, it states uh, that... that uh, Ahaz took over when he was 20 years old. He became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike his father David, he didn't serve the Lord. He followed all the kings of Israel and their practices of sacrificing their children. He offered sacrifices, blah, blah, blah. Verse 5 gives us a little bit of insight that 2 Chronicles 28 didn't give us. And that is that king, the king of Aram and the king of Israel marched up together. They'd already devastated all the towns and villages in Judah. Now they're coming against Jerusalem. And look at this. They marched up to fight against Jerusalem and besieged Ahaz. 
but they couldn't overpower him. They took all the towns, all those bad things that I already told you about this morning, but they couldn't overpower Jerusalem. And now we finally get to read Isaiah 7 and find out the backstory of what was going on. So let's do that. Here, these two kings came and they couldn't overpower Jerusalem, even though Ahaz was a super evil guy, super bad person, never turned his life around. Even then, God ended up protecting his his interests. This is just amazing. So when we're headed, but before we read Isaiah 7, when we're headed in the wrong direction, God allows bad things to warn us and to correct us, not to ruin us. The kingdom of Judah had been really devastated, but they weren't ruined. When when you have cancer coming against you, you're going to think, this is going to ruin me. And God's saying, no, I'm just trying to teach you something. It's not going to ruin you. When you have a marriage collapse, you're going to say, I'm ruined. And God says, no, you're not ruined. I'm going to protect your interests. When you say, I, you know, I was do, I, I've done horrible in school. I got really bad grades. I'm ruined. God says, no, it's not ruined. I'm going to protect your interests. There's all kinds of things that you think are going to ruin you. And God says, no, I am not going to let those things ruin you. I'm going to protect your interests. That's for somebody today. I hope you're receiving that. In Isaiah 7, though, let's get a little bit more insight because there's Isaiah living in Jerusalem. These two kings have come against him. And here's the, the kind of the backstory. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, um, had these two kings marching to fight against Jerusalem, it says again, they could not overpower it. Now, the house of David was told, in other words, Judah was told, Aram, that's Syria, has allied itself with Ephraim, that's Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken like trees in a forest are shaken by the wind. Have you ever felt like that? You feel like you're, you're, you wake up in the morning and all you can do is almost tremble inside because you're so fearful. That's how they felt. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he said, go out. He he said, go out, you and your son, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool there in Jerusalem on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin, that's the king of Aram, and the son of Ramali, that was the king of Israel. Aram, that's... Syria and Ephraim and Ramali's son have plotted your ruin. The enemy has plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah. Let's tear it apart. Let's divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. The enemy is constantly trying to whisper in your ear and think, you're going to get ruined. You're going to be devastated. You're going to go down in shame. You're going to have a bad life. And God is saying, no way, not on my watch. The sovereign God is speaking to you right now. And let me tell you, whoever you listen to is going to win in your life. Listen to the Lord God Almighty. Listen to the sovereign Lord who says, you are not going to be ruined. 
you're not going to go down in shame. You're not going to be destroyed. Your family is going to come through this. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. You're going to come out on a higher place. Why? Because God is in control. God is in control. For the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. In other words, the country is Syria. The capital is Damascus. The king is Rezin. In 65 years, Ephraim, that's Israel, will be too shattered of a people. In other words, the very things that are so strong now, someday are not going to be strong at all in your life. They're going to be shattered. You're going to be completely set free. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramali's son. That's the king of Israel. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It's time to start exercising our faith. You and me, start exercising your faith. Every morning you get up and say, God, what are you telling me? And I'm going to listen to you, God, from now on. I'm not going to be listening to my worries anymore. I'm not going to be listening to those empty threats. I'm not going to be listening to negativity. God, I'm going to exercise my faith. I'm going to stand firm in my faith this morning so that I will stand all day long. You can do it. Look at me. You can do it. With God's help, you can do it. Praise God. God is in control. He's sovereign. Even when evil things go on, God is still in control. You are not going to be ruined. And you can confidently say, what Joseph said in Genesis 50, 20, you intended this for harm, but God intended it for my good. Isn't that awesome? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for, Lord, your message to us this morning. God, you are in control of our president. You are in control of the Congress. You are in control of this country. You are in control of our lives. You are in control of this city. You are in control of, of the devil's triangle or angel's triangle, whichever day we happen to be here. <laughs> Lord God, you're in control of this area. You're in control of that, that uh, beer joint down the way here. Lord God, you're in control of this bar that try, they're trying to build right next door to us. You're in control, Lord Jesus. Nothing escapes your attention. You're in control of family situations. You're in control of, of addictions. You are in charge and in control even if evil appears to be prevailing. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, my God, for giving us Isaiah 7. Thank you, Lord, for giving us 2 Chronicles 28, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that Jerusalem couldn't be overpowered even with an evil king in charge. It couldn't be overpowered. Why? Because God said they will not come near it. They will not come into this city. It will not be overpowered. Praise God. I, Lord, I pray that you'd begin to send your sovereign word to each and every one of our hearts this week, that we would hear from God Almighty what you say is going to happen or not happen. Lord, let your sovereign word come powerfully to each and every heart so that we know what God's intent is, what his will is, what his plan is. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.